Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, September 24th. It's episode 44. It's a lot of fours. I'm Tony. I'm Dennis. And we're going to talk to you about pinball and video games and a few other random life things, I guess. What random life things, Tony? We talk about random life at the start. Yeah, well, the random life things are the wonderful things like the fact that I've played like no video games in the last two weeks. I've, I played cold waters and not a whole lot of that. And when I realized that I'd literally played no video games in the last two weeks, I bought a game last night to play and I played some of it, but I'm not ready to talk about it because I'm not even through the tutorials yet and I'm still trying to figure it out. So yeah, I'm not a very good video game guy this week. Well, that does happen. I actually, I haven't really played a lot of, I, it will seem like it cause I'll have a few that we'll discuss in the segment, but most of this stuff is just where it's very temporary or is in a way a retread. Uh, I did pick up a couple new game. Well, I bought one new game, which I will talk about later. And then I finally this morning started mafia three because I've had it for almost a year, but I'm in the first mission. I actually, we were, it was time to set up to record and I had picked up the car keys. That was the first task in the game. After watching the intro, I picked up some car keys. And so the, I guess I'm ready to drive somewhere, but I'm not sure. We'll find out. Um, let's see. Uh, the only other things that I can fill this intro with is corrections. Oh boy. Do I have a lot of corrections all on me? Let's see. So last episode, we talked a bit, uh, and I'll get into this, about the Freedom Prototype, and I'd met with Nick from Nick's North American Pinball Tour. I misset his last name. I called him Schnell because I wrote down his last name completely wrong in my notes. I just added consonants where there were no consonants. So I imagine it's actually pronounced Shell, but I'm, I'm not positive of that. But regardless, it's not Schnell. That's definitely for sure. So apologies to Nick for that. Then uh, multi-time guest host Mike let me know that when we were discussing the Overwatch PTR changes, I misstated how D.Va operates. I had claimed that she wasn't allowed to do anything under these changes like she had been before when she uses her defensive ability called Defense Matrix. That is incorrect. She has a new mini missiles mode that she can fire off and she may fire those while using her defense matrix. And that's gone live now and is still in place. So she can actually attack while using the defense matrix. She has one attack she can do. So correction there. And then another multi-time guest host, Don, let me know there were a couple of misstatements on my part when we were doing our pinball themes segment. The first was Judge Dredd. The pinball machine predates the Sylvester Stallone movie by two years, so it was not inspired by the movie. And second, Maverick was not a bomb at the box office. It was the 12th best grossing movie that year. So I just decided to call it a bomb. Obviously, I hadn't researched it. You so, just oops. don't like it. You know you're, what? You're you're a hater. You're you're a hater. You You don't like Mel Gibson, and you don't like... Who else was in that movie? Somebody um, else. James you Garner. Don't, you don't. You don't like James, James Garner. Garner. And let, let, let me give you the names. You don't of like the pretty lady whose name I can't remember. Was it? Was it Helen Hunt? 
I, I don't. Or was it Jodie Foster in that movie? Was it Jodie Foster? Or was it someone else entirely? You see, you don't like this movie very much either. If you can't remember who these actors are, now, now, I've got I, an interesting aside that uh, that came up in a Facebook thread, uh, a Facebook one of the pinball groups this week that I got to weigh in on. Speaking of Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson triggered a lawsuit from Gottlieb on Paramount because of the movie he was in, What Women Want. There's a scene, it's about a three and a half minute scene where he is in a, like they're doing an ad pitch or something. And behind him in the room is a a Stern Strikes and Spares and a Gottlieb Silver Slugger. And Gottlieb did not like that their machine was associated with Mel Gibson, and they sued Paramount for not getting their permission to put the pinball machine in their movie. And it was thrown out as being absurd. <laughs> but that's funny. Well, that, it was yeah, it was a two part claim that the trademark side was uh, Mel Gibson has anti Semitic beliefs. We don't want to be associated with that. The judge threw that one out, saying that's absurd. And then the other claim was it was copyright violation for having the game in so in the movie without their permission. That one was, I think the phrasing is a de minimis. It was dismissed as de minimis, which is your claim is accurate. However, it's such a minute issue. The court's not going to waste its time giving you anything for it because Uh, the pinball machine wasn't, it wasn't referenced. It wasn't played. It wasn't used in the plot. It just sits there. You can clearly tell what machine it is, but it's just it's not a big enough deal to actually warrant moving forward with a copyright claim, even though, yes, technically they should have gotten permission for it being in such an extended segment. So, yeah, it was funny. But there you go. Mel Gibson has caused chaos in the pinball world. <sighs> but Maverick was an OK movie. Yes. And apparently Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. OK. Yeah. Yep. It's, you could tell I haven't seen it in years. I like James Garner, though. I don't like that insinuation that I didn't like James Garner. I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, And the only other thing I thought I should go ahead and note, though we did note this on our Facebook page for reminding people, I'll just say it now, facebook.com slash Eclectic Gamers Podcast, the Slam Tilt Podcast. They called us out regarding our call out regarding their opinion on the Freedom Prototype. Okay. I think I've got that straight. Yes. If not, it doesn't really <laughs> matter. It's all just a bunch of, it's just a podcast war of words, so to speak. They, they do have a good show. I really do enjoy it. But I, I had assumed that they don't listen. At least one of them claims they do actually listen, because I was going to try and sniff out who our spy was amongst our half dozen listeners. But, you know, there's rebel scum everywhere. It's, it's hard to say. And they say hi, so we'll say hi back. Hello. And... What it was regarding was uh, I said that I didn't think they liked the Freedom Prototype because they only like what I refer to as cookie cutter lower third playfield designs. You know, the standard sling flipper layout that we're used to now in the modern era. Uh, They both say they like Spanish eyes, which does not have that layout. It's a middle pop layout. So that's a good defense. So I will yield the point that they don't just like cookie cutter layouts, but I'm a bit confused still how anyone couldn't like the Freedom Prototype when Spanish Eyes has the exact same lower third playout. I compared them side by side. I've never played Spanish Eyes, but I loaded up the images and IPDB. That layout down there is identical. So what I'm assuming it is, is one of their one of their hosts, I believe it was Bruce, said uh, it was the spinner. It's There are two spinners on Freedom. 
uh, on the well freedom and the prototype and that he couldn't hit them cleanly on the prototype version because of how the flippers are laid out and i wanted to ask you tony because you've played uh, freedom prototype several times i've played it several times he's played three different machines i think he indicated he hasn't played nick's restored version but do you recall having a problem hitting the spinners not that i recall i i mean i'm not a great player so if if a shot doesn't hit i don't assume there's a problem with the geometry of the game i assume there's a problem with my playability but i don't recall it being one of those things where i took shots i'm like well i just it's just impossible to hit i i I don't recall that at all yeah i couldn't either but i also don't remember just tearing into them over and over i believe nick's response would probably be not every game just lets you exploit the spinner constantly and that this would be one of those said games. Again, looking back at the at the visuals, those spinners should be clean shots on either geometry, either the prototype or the finalized version. But I thought there was an implication that the issue with the flipper placement was why they dropped the prototype. And as I understand it, that is not correct. Europe, European distributors demanded the game get modified because of the middle pop. They didn't like the middle pop. They didn't think the European audience would like it. And that's why Bally gave in and went back to the traditional layout. It wasn't actually the placement of the the flippers. Specifically, it was the middle pop that was seen as the problem because they had to take out the slings to put that in. So anyway, it was an interesting discussion. And then they went on a rant of Atari games, which I'm sure would have been lots of fun. But other than Superman, I haven't played any Atari games. And everyone knows Superman's their best. So. Anyway, it was fun. It was a fun topic. And speaking of fun topics, we can go to pinball formally now. Ooh. Yeah. I, I don't thought we should know if there's well, fun topics. Well, we got uh, the continuation of our System 11 tournament. That's lots of fun. That'll, that'll be a fun topic. But that's at the end. I go through pain first. We will crawl through glass before we can skate on ice. I, I'm sure someone said that famous. I think. Let's open with a pinball, some what I call quick pinball news topics, because I have three of them that I didn't really want to go into in depth on, but I thought we should go ahead and cover. So the first one is Highway Pinball, which made full throttle and is making the alien pinball game. They might be shipping more alien pins. I have to say might, though, because I can't quite figure out exactly what's going on. Some reports indicate yes, and some are more like no slash I don't know. There's a misinformation if you, issue going on for sure, though, because there have been claims. Some of this has to do with the or their main U.S. distributor, Cointaker, has given comments that they're on a ship heading for the U.S., and then there's statements that the ship was delayed because of the hurricanes, And then there are statements that they were going to the ships, but the pinball machines had to go back to the factory because there was a defect that needed to be fixed before they shipped them out to that. They haven't been shipped at all and have never gone to the ship. I, I don't know. There are photos or a photo, at least that was posted online from highway, which showed that they had a number of boxes, which looked like they were ready to go with machines. And that photo also seemed to suggest to a lot of people that the assembly line that they are running is is just as inefficient as it was under Andrew Highway, that they don't have a lot of uh, specialty pieces to allow them to easily work on the play field. So that, of course, raised some many issues about 
uh, whether or not they'll ever be able to ramp up production faster than they currently are doing. But I, you know, so I don't know. So because supposedly there's supposed to be a container with like 20 plus of these things coming to the U S soon, but it also sounded like they were also supposed to already have left and gotten here. I don't, what do you think, Tony, what's going on with highway? I think that they were on the way, but alien pirates stole the container off the cargo ship. And now they're trying to cover themselves because the aliens liked the game so much that they stole it. But if we find out, they'll destroy the world. That's what I think. Now, what type of alien? Do you mean like xenomorph aliens from the game? No, they they no, no, this would probably be more like predators. They like a okay. good game. It's all a game to them. It's fun. Hmm, that's true. <laughs> and it would be hard to hunt for an alien pin because there just aren't very many that were finished and out in the wild. And what is the it most dangerous game? It is interesting to me. I mean, it's been, I guess it's only been a few months since their reorganization. So it's not too surprising that they haven't gotten everything back up to speed and hitting yet. So it's been what? Man, how long? I don't remember. It was May. Was it May? Maybe. I, I, yeah, I don't know when the takeover. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it was a long time ago. I'm trying to follow it. I'm trying to keep track of the issues. And of course, we'll report back when we have something of more substance to go off of. And we did extend an invite through their contract artist on Alien uh, to let allow these the new owners or a representative for them come on to the show. And that offer, of course, still stands, but they never reached back. So we don't have any sense officially from the company what's going on. I've seen a lot of people have received refunds. And we know that they dramatically raised the prices. We talked about that several episodes ago. And so it's a question of obviously more cash was injected in because they're still going. And obviously, based off of what the expenses are, they decided they needed to raise the price of the product. But other than that, there's been nothing really that suggests they're any better about building them, faster about building them than it was with. Andrew Highway. So, and I don't know how long they spent building full throttles. The rumor mill is there are only around a hundred full throttles out there. It wasn't particularly popular. So I just, I can't tell. I mean, they don't necessarily have to have a super efficient line if they're, if it, their costs are contained enough, but, and some of the, the issues under the past were that they weren't buying the the parts in bulk. So they might be, you know, getting efficiency gains, just not on the assembly side. And it's, you know, let's not go too far reading into one photo, but, but the, the bigger concern is this, the distributor saying the games are on the way. And then people closer to the company saying, no, the games actually haven't left yet. There's no reason for that story to be inconsistent. Yeah, that well, that and how much of it is rumor, and how much of it is just something somebody somewhere has put out. I mean, there's too many. There's nothing really solid enough to comment on. I think. I mean, there's just too many conflicting claims without a source that would be considered reputable, and uh, that I have seen. Uh, that's not doesn't mean there's not one out there and that doesn't mean somebody doesn't know the truth. I just, I've seen, like you said, so many conflicting claims that it could be, there might be machines on the way. There might be machines. They might have a whole bunch of machines done. They might be slow. It's just, I don't know. It's just all up in the air still. 
And it looks like the reorg, the reorg was three months ago. Uh, mini update number two, skit B. The process of the legal shenanigans are happenings, depending on your view of them. They are, yep. The wheels of justice, they continue to churn slowly, but they are churning. No major decisions have been uh, reached. I think I've listened to, since the last episode, maybe one hearing, and it's, uh, there's nothing there's nothing of concern to the listeners, I feel, to bother delving into on it. There's been a lot of paperwork that's been going on, so I know things are moving forward on the various, what I'd call, sub-players. But the only real interesting thing is you've got some of these sub-issues going on, plus there is a counterclaim from the VirtuaPin uh, lawsuit involving a defamation against the trustee. So th- that's going on at the same time, but again, that's tangential. That's not really skip B per se. So I'll keep my eyes on it and probably report back when I finally see what the decision is on it. Those are kind of fun hearings to listen to because they get to be very passionate because it's an accusation against an attorney uh, being made by another attorney that one was behaving inappropriately. So of course there's a little bit of drama involving that, but it's not at the core of what we're interested in following as a podcast. So, uh, and nothing major involving the Kulik family itself over the last uh, podcasting period. So that's why I don't have anything else to say other than there is activity that is still going on. Attempts to claw back assets are still happening. Last mini issue, uh, the Alice Cooper pin. We really haven't talked about that since our Texas pinball festival episode, because all the attention coming out of spooky pinball has been on total nuclear annihilation. But some of the art was revealed in, I believe it was a magazine. I forget the name of it. I've not taken a close look at the art. I just saw people note. I saw the thread was bumped up. And so I looked and it's like, oh, look, it was kind of a surprise because no one gave him a heads up. Check out this magazine and see our art. It was eventually someone noticed it and was like, whoa, cool. And I say some of the art because I think it had to do with like the cab art and stuff. I don't think it was the play field. Uh, well, that, no, there may have been some of the play field. I, just, I don't think there's anything comprehensive with all the art put together. Let me rephrase that because I'm sure I'll get a correction after making that mistake. <sighs> That's it for the quick pinball news. Um, have you seen that art? The no, I haven't seen okay. it. I, 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 I hadn't even. I haven't really heard either. about it being revealed. So that is completely new to me, and I am so. Ex- <clears throat> I mean, um, yeah, I'm it's Alice Cooper. To Tony. it, Tony is Alice Cooper. I know, Argu- arguably I just, your twenty-sixth favorite band. I have not been real happy with my games I've played lately from Spooky. I'm sure I will play this one at some point, but I'm not. It's just not up there. It's not something that I'm deeply looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have no, I have no built-in enthusiasm for it. But yes, I'm sure we'll end up with one on location, and we'll see. I'm hoping uh, to see continued improvement. I really want to see the. Total Nuclear Annihilation on location because I have played that gameplay and I know it's good. So I'm more excited about that. But that's kind of unfair because I've actually played it. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing is so often you look at stuff and it's like, wow, that looks really nice. That looks really interesting. And then it's like, oh, no, it, it's not. Yeah. So there's a lot of disappointment in Pinball. I mean, I was really excited for Rob Zombie. You were. And, you were. And, you were. You loved the art. You still love the art. I still love the art, but yeah, no, I was less than thrilled by the game itself. So, 
Well, it's gone now, or so I've read. It's not at our location anymore. I complained about that last episode, actually, and then that day I saw it was announced, I put in a Star Trek instead. Oh, I bet you're looking forward to that, some some tournament time on that. Uh, Star Trek is one of those games where, while I do enjoy it, the problem is there are a lot of people who have kind of mastered how to play it. And so it's like Attack from Mars. I really like playing Attack from Mars. I don't necessarily like playing it in a tournament, though, because so many people know it. But bottom line, I'd rather play a game I know than a game I don't. And I'd always rather play a game that's fun, even though I'm not good at it, than a game I don't find fun. So yes, I I am pleased with the decision. Speaking of pleased with decisions and talking about Opposite Day, let's talk about John Papaduke, a.k.a. J-Pop. We're going to go into the real news now, Tony. Yeah, I hear that sigh from a, from miles and miles away, but that ain't gonna st- that ain't gonna save you from this segment. Nothing can save us. Apparently. Wasn't it about this time last year that this stuff started? Wasn't it like September or October yeah. last year? Yeah, no, year it, it was. It was in the early that the fall. The whole American pinball Houdini J pop debacle started. That's a good point. Actually, before we. Let's do that first part of the segment. Tony, can you give our listeners, because we haven't really talked about J-Pop and his relationship with American Pinball since like February when we found out it was he wasn't going to be involved anymore. So can you give kind of a summation of what that was? Because some of our listeners may not know what we're talking about, the newer ones. Well, back in the fall of last year, um, I don't remember the exact days. I think it was, like I said, it was September or October, something like that. Uh, maybe just a hair earlier, even. Uh, American Pinball started having stuff pop up on the stage. They sent out a little flyer and they made some announcement, had a little website pop up that they were making Houdini Pinball. And it turns out that J Pop was going to be the designer. And everybody was up in arms. Because of the whole Zidware, Magic Girl, Raza fiasco thing going on. And they had a really, really bad showing in Chicago. And pretty quickly they dumped uh, John and brought in another designer and basically started over on the machine. And here it is a year later and John suddenly back again and it's really disturbing that is a very good summary of what happened with american pinball so why why is john back well let's see we now have another company called deep root tech llc and they have a division called deep root pinball llc he's listed on their engineering team Uh, i believe the uh, title is lead game development is his job title I have a link, incidentally, in the show notes to their engineering team uh, website. At least it was last I checked. Functional. So what's going on? We know Deep Root does have a Pinsight account. They've had it for years. They actually had some negative statements about J-Pop when the stuff involving his original company to make games, Zidware, that whole mess was going on. And there was an attempt by a company called Pentasia to bail it out. That goes further back than even this podcast goes. So uh, the nutshell of that is Tony's talk about the American pinball thing. J-pop got into trouble with game design with his own company before that called Zidware. And it looked like there was an attempt by American pinball to make some of those games that J-pop 
the thought was, and we don't have any confirmation. We reached out back then, incidentally, to American Pinball, and they never bothered to reply to us. So, you know, when you don't do that, we get to speculate. That's the rule. That's how it works here. So we don't know what the what the deal was. The assumption, I'd say the ba- the baseline assumption most people have is J-Pop was going to get some of his Zidware games made by them. And instead of paying him money, they'd basically pay him in product. And in exchange, he'd give them new designs to make and sell for themselves. Those designs he needed to get paid f- with were the ones for Zidware. So anyway, there was an attempt to bail out Zidware um, and that didn't work. So. No one knows what's going on currently. Again, there's all sorts of speculation, uh, but there are some, there have been some clues. Uh, And incidentally, uh, much like with American Pinball, I did submit an offer to Deep Root to say, if you want to participate in an interview, we'll do one. Or if you'd like to provide a written statement, uh, you know, I could just read it out on this episode. Uh, But I did say we'd be talking about them on this episode and they responded right away, but they said they are, quote, not permitted to discuss anything, end quote. So, you know, maybe they said maybe in the future. So, okay. So here we are speculating again, just like we had to with American pinball. Uh, I can say what we've seen from pin side is the artist on a lot of the magic girl stuff who goes by the moniker zombie Yeti. He also did the art for Stern's ghostbusters. That's probably what he's best known for in the pinball world. Uh, he indicated that he received from Robert with deep root a copy of a contract written up by J-Pop and J-Pop's legal counsel to give up his copyrights on the Magic Girl artwork free and clear, claiming that he essentially saying, I've been fully compensated for my art and that it may be used for whatever purpose people want to use it for. Uh, even though he never got all of his payments he was supposed to receive. And uh, Zombie Yeti s- stated publicly that he refused to sign that contract. So, Well, I would hope so. Well, it's, you know, because, I mean, there are a lot of vendors who got burned in the Zidware debacle. The The main two that people know of are the programmer who I, I blank on his name. His handle on Pinside is Apple Juice and Zombie Yeti, who did the art. They were supposed to get paid monetarily and also receive Magic Girl games as part of their payment. And we know they didn't get the Magic Girl games. Um they might have received some partial monetary payments, but not in full. So, yeah, but but what that does tell us is that Deep Root is interested in making more Magic Girls, because why else ask for permission for that art? And that's interesting because of the three games that were supposed to be made by Zidware, Magic Girl, Raza, which is like Retro, Atomic, Zombie Adventureland, and Alice in Wonderland, the Magic Girls quote unquote, technically have been satisfied on the customer level. American Pinball, I guess, as part of their breakaway with J-Pop, gave him the materials to build. It was a very limited build. The number of customers was around 20, 25-ish, I think. So I guess those have been built and sent out. So that one's kind of done. Like if you were trying to get out of legal trouble, you could try and argue here. I, I did it, even though those games don't really play. And that's part of the scandal with everything that's gone on with J-pop is the magic girls finally went out. They started trading around for crazy money. And then people started to play them and were like, there are features that are missing. Like here's the spot for the feature, but the device isn't there to make it do anything sort of stuff. It doesn't shoot. Well, of course it's a J-pop game. It naturally doesn't shoot well, but 
it doesn't shoot well beyond normal. Like there are places the ball's supposed to go where it can't go. Just all sorts of madness like that. So that's sort of what limited news we have on this right now. Tony, I'd like to explore what your thoughts are on this regarding Deep Root and working with J-Pop. They put his name on the website, so I have to think they wanted they wanted it to leak or they thought it wouldn't be bad PR for it to leak. But to me, it seems like a really big slash stupid risk to team up with John Papaduke. I don't know. I I'm I was so in shock when this came out. Remember, I remember last year when we first started talking about the American pinball thing. I was convinced it was a hoax. It was a big joke somebody was pulling, and I was wrong. And now to see after that debacle, to see yet another company do the exact same thing, is shocking. But what's even more shocking is the way this is being played out, the way this is being, um, I mean, it's seen as it sounds like they're going to make more uh, Magic Girls and they're going to make more games that are just not, like like Raza's uh, is a possibility. I know nothing's been said because nothing's been said about nothing. But with the way they're trying to get information out about, uh, like the Zombie Yeti to get that release just makes me think and makes it look like to me that that's what they want is they want to make more of those games, which from everything we've seen since they went out, Magic Girl is trash. It's complete junk. And the only thing going for it is its rarity and that could be going away, which is just senseless. But to ask uh, Zombie Yeti to give up his rights when he's never been paid, when he's never been compensated in any way is insane. And I wonder if other people have gotten the same things and they haven't said anything. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I just can't believe it. I cannot believe a year after the American pinball thing, we're doing this again, again. Well, his, you know, his Bally Williams days, J-Pop's got a number of games that are in the top 20 still. he He's loved. A lot of people love his designs, Lo- love him over any other designer, as shocking as I find that to be. Yeah, I I can't understand that because his games are at most okay. None of his games jump out and scream to me as, oh, this is a wonderful game. I don't know if any of his games is in my top list. I mean, I will play them. I enjoy several of them, but they are definitely not some sort of giant, full-on, wonderful, glowing, hallelujah chorus of pinball to me. And I know they are to some people, but... For me, they're not. I mean, Toten is a pretty enough game, and it's kind of fun, but it's not the. It doesn't scream at me the way it apparently does to some people, as just the perfect game. I'm. I don't know, but hey, I mean, I like weird stuff too. So, 
I mean, I, I get that. I, I agree that most of his games have a really excellent, and Magic Girl included, have a, have an excellent art package. His choice on visual art for his pins is impressive. I would say it is the most impressive of any of the, I don't know how much of a say he gets in that versus, you know, going back to Toad Inn, as you referenced, Theater of Magic, Circus Voltaire, they all look great. Uh, Magic Girl looks great. What I saw sketched up for Raza and Alice in Wonderland look great. But he's not a he's not the artist. He's not the one drawing all that stuff. Uh, so, you know, I guess maybe in those uh, and again, referencing back when uh, Nick from Nick's North American Pinball Tour was in town, we were having a discussion and I mocked that that phrase. It's a phrase I hate. I guess I'm not critic. I might upset a few of the listeners. So apologies up front. That world under glass. Oh. I hate that. I hate that expression. I hate it because I don't believe in it. I don't believe that you feel like you're the pinball exploring the world under glass. And that's not what pinball is about. You never have that in the EM era. And I think it's silly to go and judge the game by how much of the world is under there and how many toys there are. Like I'm a three-year-old dropping a marble in a, in a, you know, whatever those little things are where they just roll around and you don't actually play anything. You're just watching. That's to me what world under glass means. And that's not a game. That's just a spectacle. So I've never been impressed by it. I like games to look nice, but I'm not about world under glass. And that's what I always recall hearing about with J-pop is he builds such a beautiful world under glass. Yeah, but it sucks to play. I mean, they don't all suck. Theater of Magic shoots fine. I enjoy Toad in it fine. Circus Voltaire, if I'm not playing it in tournament, is okay. But it's his uglier yeah, it's game. It's okay. World that, that's Cup the soccer, most you can say. The best to play. Yeah, and it's definitely not the prettiest of them, but it is no. the funnest of them. Yeah, it's really moved up a lot in my in my listing. But yeah, so all this, yeah, I I don't get it. I mean, I guess if you want if any any advertising is good advertising, then this was a great way to get noticed is to tie yourself to J-pop. That's what I had assumed American Pinball was doing when they got into bed with him initially. I still don't understand how American pinball was so stupid. It was it just because it all ultimately did not work out well for them. I mean, you know, I don't want to, I'm not in the market for Houdini, but I'd still, I'd have a lot of trouble, honestly, buying from American pinball because of that mistake. That yeah. I thought that that was a smart move. I, I'm, I'd still be, I mean, no, no offense to those working on Houdini. Now I believe that they're uh, respected designers, programmers, artists, and I have nothing against them, but that company deciding that it was okay to work with J-pop, I'm not over it. That I won't consider buying their. I don't recommend their products to anyone because yeah. of that. No, that's I. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I mean, that's the same way I'm going to go. Be going with this is I'm not going to have any. I'll I'll follow it. I'll look at it. I will comment on it, but I don't. I do not see how a company. Not just just a year after this whole thing happened, does it again? And if they are big pinball people, how do how they can look at what happened to American pinball last year and be like, yeah, but we're better than that. That was them. We're different. Right. In their case, what I'm going to guess, and again, it's all speculative because we don't know, is American pinball was like, Let's make the Zidware stuff for John and we'll pay him in machines and then he'll give us new stuff to make. Whereas Deep Root's more like, 
who cares what the limits were on these runs for the Zidware things? Let's basically just become Zidware and sell as many of them as we can. We know people love the art packages on them. Now, whether or not they make the original customer's haul is in, is in question. There was an interview that Deep Root, or a conversation, I believe it was phrased at, that Deep Root uh, participated with uh, This Week in Pinball. Uh, that people can look up online. And in that discussion, they indicated that they were going to take steps regarding the past Zidware customers. Obviously, with the contract that went to Zombie Yeti, there does not seem to be interest in trying to take care of the vendors, but they could still kind of ignore the vendors and try and deal with the customers in some way, either giving them machines, giving them a credit, uh, giving them a discount. You know, it could manifest in a lot of different ways. Or you just sort of steamroll past all that ultimately and say, well, let's see if we can sell them outright and not do anything with the Zidware folks. That would probably backfire on them would be my thought, but because you would the only hope. Thing, well, yes. But I mean, the current thing, what the current, what the current approach has done, which happened with American pinball as well, is now you've got people who are quote unquote in on the Zidware games that now are, it splits the community in a way because some of those people will see this as their only hope of getting their machine. And so now they're going to want everyone to back deep root just because they're desperate to get, it's like, they don't believe they'll ever get their money back. Some of them are in lawsuits. Some of them have decided not to go into lawsuit. And some of them still hold out hope that the only, that they might get made whole and getting made whole means getting the machine. And so they're going to want deep root to succeed. And I think I would speculate deep root would rely on that. And be, and be like, we have a built-in fan base. As long as we suggest- Is it a fan base? It's like hostages. I mean, you've got we've got a built-in Stockholm syndrome is what it is. Sure, but but from a from the corporate perspective, if that's going to guarantee a, a demand, you know, that they're going to have supporters on the forums while they remain silent and not answering the John Papaduke relationship question about why you would why would you go with him when there's so many other designers you could pick from if you need an established name to give you an in. And you've got people I've, I mean, it hap it's happened on pen site already where there's some like, well, shouldn't, you know, shouldn't we be backing this? It's like at some point it really, and that's why it's the, the John Papa Duke just won't, he won't die. He's the cockroach of pinball. At some point it would have been great. And it would have been painful for people, but it would have been great for everyone to have just understood. You'll never get the games. You should enter into a legal settlement. Maybe you get pennies on the dollar. It sucks. But that's what you're going to, that's the only way you're going to get something. I don't think anyone should get games at this point. I think they should get refunds, partial or full, but no more, none of this idea about the, the games as an idea should die and it should just be monetary recomp. That's it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, and here's my, my thought is having seen what the magic girl was that actually went out to people. Do these people want their games? Because it sounds like it's worth less than than just getting some money back would be. You get a non-functional game that you're not going to be able to sell unless you magically find some person that wants a giant box of lights that doesn't play at all or play worthwhile that they're willing to dump you know, new car money on. I mean, that's just... How long can you keep these dreams alive without just accepting the fact that it's over? 
I mean, your, your, your hope is done. It's changed. It's time to try something new. I think for a lot of them, they, it could be, who knows? They could be telling themselves that Deep Root will fix it so that these will play. They'll fix the magic girls so these will play. See, that's the, I mean, that's really the only way. If, if Deep Root were to engineer and make these all shoot, so they're not going to be exact. I mean, again, Raza and Alice in Wonderland weren't really very far along in terms of finalized design. So you could get array with significant changes. The magic girl one's sort of interesting because if they made a working magic girl, my assumption would have been, especially if they had been able to keep the artwork would have been that they would basically crush the value of the existing American pinball built versions and their versions, because they'd actually be playable would be more valuable and more desired. The only thing the American pinball ones would possibly have would be collectability. But if it's the art that everyone's after, all you hurt are the people who got the existing magic girls. And it's not like they're in the market for new ones. So from a corporate perspective, who cares about their opinion? Because they're, they're done that these pinball companies are not in the business of you making $25,000 on a, on flipping a game. They don't care about that. No, but they are in the game of PR and uh, your visibility in the social networking as it is nowadays. And some, doing something like that would take would cause a major hit. And they've already taken one major hit just because of the J-pop thing, period. How many hits can a company take and expect to survive? Well, and that's where some of the speculation regarding Deep Root is. They're not targeting the pinball collector community at all. You know, they've got that phrase, a uh, uh, home for every pinball, a pinball for every home or something like that. There's, some are wondering if their plan is more like, and J-pop had a history with this, with the Zizzle machines. What if their goal is not to make full-size arcade-ready operator-oriented machines, which even the home collection models are all oriented around in the pinball collecting community, but instead, just taking the designs and shrinking them and making them more like the pen or like Zizzle. Small, little, cheap versions designed for normal people to buy. You know, the, that market wouldn't care about J-pop. They wouldn't know they, about you're it. You're right. And actually, that is an interesting idea of how would that get around the people who thought that they were getting a limited edition Magic Girl if they turned out a zizzle size machine of Magic Girl, because technically they would still have their limited edition full-size Magic Girl. Yep. So that, again, we don't know. It's all very speculative, but that could be the angle. So in that case, they don't care about the PR at all. But then that also begs the question, why do it with, with John? People buying the zizzle machines don't care about the developers. They don't know about them. They yeah. just want a little, a little cheap pin to have in their home to play around on. So you you could have a nobody do the design. Oh, well, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, I really thought this type of stuff was over. I thought this kind of stuff yeah. was over. We will never be free. We're like enslaved <sighs> to Sauron's will here. Okay. Well, moving past Sauron to the land of Sauron. Well, kind of, because that was New Zealand and we're going to talk about Australia by way of China. But let's talk about home pin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I tried to make it transition and it just didn't work at all. But now we've got good news, right? This is good news. We this can get rid of the better cruddy news. bad stuff and go, well, no, that's not what I asked. This is better news. Anything compared to J-pop, pretty much, well, maybe not Trudeau, yes. but anything anything else compared to J-pop is probably better news. <laughs> um, 
gosh, there's just so much negativity in pinball right now. Um, home pin, uh, another podcast, head to head pinball. They had an in-depth interview with Mike of home pin about his company and the Thunderbirds pinball machine that they're going to release as their first pin. I do have a link to that interview in the show notes. So if people want to go and listen to it, they have provided it. So feel free to give it a listen. It's nice. They cover a lot of elements of the company. What I thought is we should focus, though, on the part that's gained discussion in the pinball community. And the main element there is it had to do with the updating of the games. Mike has indicated that his system does not support USB updating of code. That's generally seen as the standard at this point. That's what the Stern games do. I believe that's what the JJP games do. I'm not spooky didn't start that way, but I think they've gotten to like SD card updating or maybe they're at USB at this point. This is where I I get punished for not looking it up. Anyway, USB is kind of what people like because it's easy. But what I thought was interesting is beyond just the USB specifically, I've actually never done a USB update on a game, so I, I can't really comment on it, but that the system isn't relying on socketed CPU chips either. Instead, I believe Mike said that the chips are through board. So I guess they're, they go, they're actually soldered to the board itself. And whereas I have done code updates on things like Sharky Shootout and Jurassic Park, where you had chips and I used an EEPROM burner, but they were socketed. So it's real easy to pull a chip out and put a new chip in. Mike stressed that the intent is to release Thunderbirds with complete code. The boards can be updated if they need to be. And the way that will be done is you can send them or bring them to an authorized entity like one of the distributors, I guess, and they'll have the ability to apply the update. But I wanted to ask you, Tony, what what are your thoughts on this? Mike's concern that he stressed in the interview was about home users possibly ruining their boards by failing to do the update properly through USB. Is that a problem? Is that something that happens a lot? I don't know. Considering how often people update through USB. This is like that uh, video game console that was thrown around a year or two ago where they were going to make this all-new video game console that goes back and uses cartridges. And no, you can't connect to the internet. No, you can't patch games. Everything will be sold and done right the first time. Man, that didn't even happen back in the day. There were games that had issues out out of the box. There's always going to be something that needs to be tweaked and to remove all of the needs to the only way you can take to actually get it updated. If there's some important update is you have to take the whole board out and ship it back or ship it to a specialty place to do it. Oh, no. No, this just seems really bad because there's going to be problems that don't show up. I mean, unless they're, unless they're, they're beta players, unless they've got, you know, 75,000 beta players before they, before they finalize code, there's going to be something found eventually. It just seems like a massive mistake. It seems like, it seems like hubris just to go, our games are perfect. Our game will be perfect and it will go out with no problem. You don't need to fix anything. 
Well, in, in the interview, he he ranged, I think, between 90 to 99 percent completion upon time of release. So he, he didn't claim 100 percent. But but you bring up a good point about the issue of bugs. And that's been the the main thing of the community. I mean, that was why I had to update Sharkies. Incidentally, I saw what version the code was on because I initially thought, oh, well, this was back before they made it easy to update code. This was back before Stern had the reputation of not finishing code. So what would there be to change? They're surely not going to add more modes. And they didn't. The issue was there was a certain circumstance that was very rare, but it was possible to arise when you had certain settings on the game and certain things happening in the game where the magnet could burn something out. It was a a weird, I even saw the write up on it and I was like, oh, wow. In a home setting, I'm not even sure this condition could happen, but it's like they had to release a patch because it could actually damage something physically. So the game had to get patched. I think they had to do two or three bug patches. They were all bug patches, but that's what was done. What confused me, though, is let's say for a moment, because I don't know, that there have been a number of people who have bricked their boards by misappropriately applying a USB update. Why not use socketed CPU chips then? Because the average home user doesn't have an EEPROM burner. They're intimidating to use, quite frankly. To You look at them and you see all the different chip types and all the settings in the software. I mean, they're cheap. They're super cheap to get from China. I have uh, an EEPROM burner, uh, but yeah, you have to orient it right. You have to make sure you chose the right chip type. A lot of this stuff's an abbreviation. That would limit the number of people willing to update it to just those who feel like they know what they're doing. But I don't, so I don't understand why you don't, use, why not use a socketed set at least and then let, if the homeowner doesn't want to send it in, they can go ahead and just pop in a new EEPROM chip because that's how it was done for a long time. So that's the part that kind of confused me is not even allowing it be the old socketed chip model because that would cut down on the number of casual people trying to do it, but it would still be a very affordable, easy process for those that have that equipment, which a lot of collectors would if they're regularly trading in older games. Because many of the many of the older games were socketed. Like I, I mean, Jurassic Park's from '92. It's socketed chip. Yes, but I just can't believe that there's a lot of that. There's this, some huge thing of people bricking their machines with the USB updates. I, I mean, sure, it might happen on occasion, but is it some major problem? It doesn't seem to be a major problem. No, it's a that's a good point. And what relates to this is a somewhat separate matter that I saw come up on Pinside. There, uh, Ben Heck, who uh, was involved in the Pin Heck board design, which is what Spooky's pins primarily have been using. Total Nuclear Annihilation is not. I know they're using P-Rock because that's what it was originally designed on, but they're kind of custom board set. Uh, and Home Pin, I remember at one point, the mic on Pin side had complimented their approach to their board design. That's not a CPU. Or not, excuse me, not CPU. That's not, they're not using like a PC-based computer. He's not a fan of that. He wanted to use the more traditional board styles for stability, which is what Pinheck is. Well, Pinheck has accused HomePin of ripping off their custom board designs without giving any credit for it. The boards that HomePin and Pinheck are using are based off open source projects. The claim is that there were certain kind of weird or strange customizations that the Pinheck designers did to their board design, and they see that in the photos of HomePin's board design. and. Relating to our prior discussion and your concerns about the issue with not letting the user update, the open source version of Pinheck, because it was originally released open source, 
uh, and then it was taken down. That version didn't allow user updates of the board set, but later they adjusted it so that you could do an SD card update. Oh, I have it in my notes. So now I know what you could do. Yeah. Rob Zombie lets you do SD card updates. I should have read my own notes better. So (laughs) what Ben Heck is saying is Pinheck was open source. It's not a legal issue going on here. He's just annoyed that HomePin hasn't thanked them and given them credit for the board design, but is instead acting like they developed it themselves. Mike's statements last I saw on Pinside have not been to acknowledge that he has taken from Pinheck. He's just acknowledging he used the same original open source board stuff that Pinheck did. Pinheck, after seeing the fonts used, was like, no, you've made, you're using the same fonts I used. That wasn't in that project. And then when they saw photos of the boards provided, he and one of the other developers were pointing to things like, there's no reason for you to have this here. That was a mistake well, not a mistake, but something we did to save money because we just happened to have a whole bunch of surplus something else's that d- did that. No one in their right mind would design it that way if they didn't just have that lying around sort of stuff. So they're like, no, looking at the photos, we know you've definitely taken our design and you, you haven't, you haven't, you didn't give us credit, which is the standard open source approach. But, so, you know, talking about that, that would explain why it just so happens this game doesn't allow user updates. Because the one that was put out in the open source community didn't have the SD card update option. They developed that uh, privately later. So I don't know what your thoughts are there, but. If they're working off something open source, okay, that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but (sighs) yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't, again, there doesn't seem to be any legal issue. It's both. Pinheck and the original open source board set that Mike's claiming he built off of, which Ben Heck has built off of, they're both open source. So it's not, it's not a legal issue, but if he did, if home pins board is the Pinheck board design or based off of it, then, you know, normal open source protocol is to give credit and you could lose support. You could lose collector support. It gets extra. I mean, cause Pinheck's used in spooky and this gets to a, this is a weird one. I've never wanted to really do a segment on it and we, we, we're not really going to, but <laughs> it's, well, here's the thing. People love spooky. It, it's sort of at the point where it's almost not safe to criticize spooky because there's so much broad-based support. Everyone, it's like the American dream come to life. Everyone loves Charlie. Everyone loves everyone who works for Spooky. Everyone loves the passion. Everyone loves the buy the bootstraps and using the small town in Wisconsin to build the stuff. I've had people privately tell me while they like the idea of Spooky, they don't think the games are are up to professional quality. They don't think that the they don't think the quality is there yet. That it's still very homebrewy and but that they don't like to say it publicly because it, it comes across as an attack on Spooky. And there are a lot of people that just kind of are almost rabid about defending it. So you start taking things that might be seen as quote unquote spooky property and not giving credit. There might be people that may have considered supporting HomePin just as a new startup that would be like, well, no, you're, you're now identified as an anti-Spooky, so we can't back you. Uh, I don't think there'll be that much blowback on this. This is so nuanced, confusing, and you'd have to have looked in the appropriate threads to follow it. But it has come up on some of the discussions, uh, at least the things about the update. That'd probably be more off-putting. But yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, I I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, Again, maybe 
I can't even say for sure that it is ta- has taken from Pinheck. I don't want to say that I think Mike's the one in the wrong. If I, I don't know. It's just the accusations were pretty fervent and he was defensive, but it's, I don't know. He, they had a lot of kind of nuanced specifics they were pointing to that were their design. And, but if it was, you know, if it was taken and it's open source, why not just give credit? I don't get it. It's not uh, to me. This isn't some major massive thing, but I agree. It's if there's credit to be given, give credit. I mean, pinball is a pretty small hobby all in all, and you're not going to help yourself by acting like a a hole. I mean, that's just yeah. not that's that's not really gonna going to do anything good for you, especially in, on the sales side of uh, the aisle when you're trying to build a following. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's it's we don't know when or if or how things are going to turn out. So we'll just have to see. Fun topic time. Oh, there's a fun topic finally. This has been my, I was going to say this has been mildly depressing. This has been beyond mildly depressing. That's right. I mean, the, o- the, the e- only thing we needed to, gamers to Prozac. That's finish what we're go like by. destroying this, this whole thing is it, it would have been a Trudeau update. And no, that, that would have been the no. final thing. That would have just been enough to say, no, okay, we're good. All right. Yeah. That's, I'm going to go, I'm going to go take some, some Xanax and, lay down for a while now and maybe it'll all be over soon. Yeah. Yeah. I actually deliberately did not even search for anything related to Trudeau since the last episode. Cause I don't want an update right now. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. We, but we, we will when there's actual major news, obviously. But, and so yes, fun topic. Uh, our system 11 tournament, it's going well, it's going into round two, Tony. Woo. But we must sum- summarize round one, and I think that's pretty easy to do. There was only one upset where a lower seed took out a higher seed. Dr. Dude, which was the 19th seed, did take out Grand Lizard, which was at the 14th spot, with 69% of the vote. Well, that's good. That that, that should have happened. I mean, yes, I, I'm still not sold that, that, of, that the seeding wasn't accidentally reversed due to typos. Hmm. Well, it is possible, but you'd have to actually research it to levy a claim against me. So have yeah, fun too much energy spent. That's what I thought. That's what I rely on. That's why it was so shocking when I actually had three different people send me corrections this last week. Because normally I just expect everyone to be too lazy to bother looking. <sighs> it's a learning experience, Tony. Uh, only other things I'd summarize regarding the round one results was, uh, the largest margin of victory was actually the four seed Earthshaker over the 29th seed millionaire. It had 97.7% of the vote, which does mean that Bugs Bunny did better than millionaire did with its matchup against taxi taxi only had 90.7% of the vote. So there was almost 10% troll voting that went on for Bugs Bunny. I can only say shame. I do encourage people to play it. Some people will say, oh, this game is so awful. Don't ever play it. No, no. If you no, see no, a no. Bugs you Bunny, need to know. You, you need to know what it's like. Play it. You must. It is, it's basically, it's our only mandate we have on this show is for you to play Overwatch and Bugs Bunny for opposite reasons. So let's go over the round two matchups and, and uh, I guess sort of discuss our thoughts on the games. 
I, I, the, the seeds are in the votes. There's a link to the vote in the show notes. I'm not going to talk the seeds here. We're just going to talk game to game because we already went over all the seeds last time. Only difference is now Whirlwind, which is the one seed and Elvira and the Pottery Monsters, which is the two seed. They're now in. They got buys the first round, as people may recall. So they're going to show up now and they didn't show up last time. So first matchup, Whirlwind versus F14 Tomcat. What are your thoughts, Tony? I'm going to go with Whirlwind. Just mm-hmm. due to personal preference. Same. I actually really like Whirlwind might be one of my, actually it is one of my favorite Lawlers. It might be my favorite. I don't know. I really like it. Next matchup, Diner versus High Speed. High Speed. I knew you'd be High Speed because you love High Speed. I love uh, High Speed. I, high I am a- as well. I don't love High Speed the same way you do, but Diner to me is a- always just a lesser taxi. And so I don't like it the way some people do. I just think it's got, it's basically taxi, but the rules are worse. So I just don't care for it as much. Okay. Next matchup, Earthshaker versus Space Station. I'm going to go Earthshaker, but this one, this one would, was a little tougher. I had to think for milliseconds on this one. Space Station's got some fun things, but man, Earthshaker's just a solid game. I actually am going to go Space Station on this one. I don't love either of these games. I think Earthshaker is way overrated. I don't enjoy shooting it. I think the shaker motor carries that game, and that's all that's really carrying that game. I don't think the shots feel very good. The problem is Space Station shots don't feel great either, but it at least was more creative with the slings down against abutting the, the flippers, so it's very hard to trap up. It's got that weird little time bonus kind of Zacharias style pinball thing at stall uh, that you can earn. So it's got more, I think it's got in, more interesting code. So that's why I'm going to, I'm doing that, but I don't really love either of those games. All right. Pinbot versus mousing around. Pinbot. Are you sure? Cause people oh, yeah. love mousing around. I don't know why. It's got, I don't understand. On yes. That, that maybe maybe the that's reason. their thing. Maybe, maybe they like, maybe they like, the 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 mice on it but no penbot yeah take what i just said about earthshaker and multiply it by 4 and apply it to mousing around and throw out the part about the shaker motor i don't <laughs> penbot all the way i don't like mousing around i think it's boring i don't understand why it is nearly as popular as it is a lot of people really love it though so i maybe it's just the look uh, or the shots but the shots center ramp all day so i don't i don't get it all right, Elvira and the Party Monsters versus Roller Games. Hmm, that's a tougher one. I'm going to probably end up going with Elvira and the Party Monsters, but I enjoy roller games. I, as I mentioned last time, I'm going Elvira, uh, and that one's not not close for me. I think Elvira shoots pretty well. I think roller games could shoot pretty well, but a lot of times it doesn't. And it's just like, you need that thing so tuned to be able to hit all those shots, especially that ramp. So I just don't think it holds up very well. Unfortunately, it's a good idea though. I, I do think they're both fun games. All right. Bonsai run versus swords of fury. You didn't even need the versus bonsai run, but you like swords of fury, Tony swords of fury. Have you forgotten? It's fine. But it, but Bonsai Run just has so many interesting little things to it that it puts it on top. I agree. I agree. Same reason. All right. Taxi versus Dr. Dude. 
Wow. That's a, that one's actually really tough. I mean, I have to give it to Taxi. I mean, that is such a fun game. But Dr. Dude is solid, but no Taxi. Yes, uh, I agree with you. Uh, Dr. Dude was a game I didn't care for, and it has grown on me quite a bit. Of the System it's 11s, like Dr. Fungus. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Dude. Well, it's got, it makes you shoot around, which I appreciate. I mean, not totally. You don't really need to do the the right orbit, for example, but you know, to be able to to spell out your mode to go and, and get your multi-ball going does require quite a bit of work. Taxi makes you shoot around more though. And so it's like, yeah, I, I like them both, but for me, taxi is a top five system 11 game and Dr. Dude's a top 10. So it's not that close for me, but they're both in the top third. So both very well respected by me. Our final matchup is going to be black Knight 2000 versus cyclone. That's Black Knight 2000 without even a hint of thought otherwise. Yep, I agree. Actually, when I was writing these up, I got thrown off when I was typing my uh, verses in, and I almost had Dr. Dude going up against Black Knight, and that would have actually been a more challenging decision for me. But that is not what we got. So anyway, as I noted, the link is in the show notes, so people may go vote. And that is concluding this episode's pinball segment. So let's hop all over, on over, all over video games. We're going to get all over um, the video games. That's right. There was one piece of gaming news I, I just recently saw, and I thought it might be fun to have a little discussion on it. Uh, PUBG, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Uh, they, they and their main developer have called out the game Fortnite for specifically for replicating their game. Fortnite has put out a battle royale or is putting out a battle royale mode and PUBG was not a fan of it. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts? I, I'm not really, you know, specifically, I don't play either of these games. I, I'm not all that concerned about the, the game mechanics itself. I thought it might be more fun to just have a brief discussion about what do you think of a game that's kind of given credit for pioneering a mode, which is what PUBG is doing. It wasn't the first to do the battle royale style, but it is the most prominent becoming very popular example of it. And now that there are clones coming out, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, is it right for PUBG to call them out for the replication? Specifically there's, they were mad because you parachute in just like you do in PUBG. Your, the area of fighting gets smaller and smaller, just like PUBG. Fortnite's counter argument, if they were to bother making one, would probably be things like, well, we have a whole building system, like a tower defense thing going on, and that's in our version, and, and your version doesn't have that. So our games still play very differently, despite those mechanics. Um, but just, I mean, basically, they, they, they are pioneering or getting a lot of credit for making popular a game, a multiplayer game mode. So... What do you think about this idea that people shouldn't be replicating that? Well, there's no doubt to the popularity of PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. I mean, this game came out of nowhere and uh when it when it hit and it has replaced everything on Steam's most concurrent player list. It is constantly got players. I mean, it's taken Dota off the list, it's taken uh, uh, Counter Strike off the list. It, it is to the at the top of the list, and you can also see it on just streamers. People are streaming it everywhere. As for calling them out for replicating their man, it they're going to replicate your people are going to do it. How many Minecraft clones are out there? 
I mean, they're all over the place. When Pacific Rim came out, they somebody kicked out a movie called Atlantic Rim. I mean, it, there, there's a whole genre of movies that's literally just, hey, let's get a movie out that's named kind of like, and it looks kind of like that big giant movie that's hitting theaters and try and get it out about the same time DVD. I mean, it's the same way in the video games. There's some video game that takes off, it gets huge, everybody starts replicating it, and some of them work and some of them don't. Uh, survival games were exactly that. A few survival games got huge, and suddenly there were survival games everywhere, and most of them were terrible. And But a couple of them took what they started, what they started out as and took it to the next level. Is Fortnite going to be doing that? No. I don't think they are, but it's going to have some interesting stuff to it. And I think it's just one of those things when you're in the industry, you just accept that it happens unless you, unless they're blatantly pulling your exact code. If they're just using your idea, well, oh, well, you're using somebody else's idea. I mean, it's not like it, it, it's never been seen before or never been talked about before. Yeah, I, I think part of the issue in terms of the mechanic mechanics in this case is Player Unknown's Battlegrounds uh, license to use the Unreal Engine. Epic makes Fortnite, so they're going to use the same engine as well. Obviously, yeah, I think you've summarized it very well. I I find this to be incredibly whiny, and I think that they're whining about it because they don't have a legal case here. That'd be like you did. Do people get to sue for capture the flag? Do the Boy Scouts get to be like, oh, we invented capture the flag. You can't have <laughs> capture the flag. I mean, I don't know what, I mean, it's sort of like, I, I get why they're annoyed. And I mean, in fact, PUBG should probably be scared. This is the problem when you decide that your game gets to just stay in early access for 20,000 years. You're not up ready for your full sales yet. It's a relatively small team and a very, and a relatively low budget that has been making a lot of money while just sitting there in early access. These other companies with big money see this success and they are going to come after you and they're going to make a more polished, better version of your game. I'd push PUBG out as fast as I could to mass market it more, th- more than it is. You got to get it out of early access and sell while you can because you're going to get outdone. You're going to yeah. get outdone by the, by the big boys. You have showed your cards for too long in early access doing your incremental updates. And that would be fine. I have nothing against early access inherently. I don't normally go for games in early access, but I don't have a problem with the model. It's just when you have this high level of success, you are begging for multi-million dollar companies to be like, you know what? We can do that and we can actually make it not buggy. Yeah. So, I mean... It's like, okay, well, it was a fun ride, PUBG. I mean, you've you've had a ton of success. There's a reason why no, I mean, it's no, one no. of the it's it's the most anticipated thing Microsoft's got coming out this winter is because they get the console exclusivity up front for uh, for unknown battlegrounds. Here's the thing. I mean, the uh uh PUBG's unknown or yeah, this whole thing, they haven't been in early access that long. No, not really. When I said 20,000 years, I, I mean, they were, they announced in 2015 and came out in 2016 in early access. So it's not been a huge ordeal. It's only been in early access since March of this year. I thought they had said that they had come out in 2016. March Maybe they were alphaing it. Maybe they were alphaing it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's been too long for a game <laughs> this popular. It's, I, I'm, it is. It's too long. 
it's too low. They could have made more money by not keeping it in early access. They're scope creeping their way through. And that was their decision. But a company like Epic uh, decide, or what if DICE says, eh, we're putting this into Battlefield. You're done. You're done. Well, that's Because true. they're better games. There are better games. PUBG is a buggy mess. And it's just because they're a small team and they're being very ambitious. And it's still super loved, which is awesome. But if you want to stay in early access forever and and sacrifice your sales for it, that was their decision. So I don't have any sympathy for them. They had plenty of time to mass sell this if they wanted to. They chose this model. This was going to happen even though they didn't choose this model. But I think maybe they feel like they're leaving money on the table. Fortnite's free to play. That's part of the threat here. I didn't realize Fortnite was free to play. Yeah, I read that somewhere. I've never played it. It just came out not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's sort of, I, it's a, you know, it is a copycat. I mean, they're, well, they're battle Royale mode. They've got other modes in Fortnite. It's not just this, this is a attack on thing uh, sort of, but this publicly shaming thing. Yeah. The arduent, uh, the ardent um, PUBG fans might go after Fortnite and criticize them on the floor. You know, Reddit might be really toxic to Fortnite, but it's like, this was going to happen. You you guys had too much success. It was going to happen. Everyone knew the Battle Royale uh, play, PvP genre was going to start showing up in all sorts of stuff. I expect to see it in Call of Duty within two years. It's yeah. just, it was going to happen. So if they're mad about that, that's silly to get mad about. If they're mad because it's threatening their bottom line before they released, that's because of their release schedule. They should have been more aggressive instead of just thinking, oh, well, we'll just stay in early access forever. Okay. Well, there you go. Some games have tried that stay in early access for everything and it doesn't always work out for them. Some games have stayed in early access for a long time and it has worked out for them. But I don't think it's, I think the level of popularity with this one is going to be the, yeah, this one needs it. The, this one needs to get done. It does. I, I think the reason why they were able to make the deal with Microsoft and not PlayStation is Microsoft has an early access program on their console and Sony doesn't. And so it was, they were able to accommodate when PUBG was like, well, we don't want to have the formal non beta style release yet, but we want to put it out on consoles. We'll make more money. And Microsoft's like, well, we have a model for that. And Sony's like, we don't do that. And so there, the, that's why there's the console exclusivity. It's not set to be permanent, but you know, I don't know how long they were again. I don't know. They made so much money, even in early access. That's hard to think that they made a bad choice. I've just, I don't know what else to get upset about. So if it's just, Oh, they made a copy of our game. I, I could, I imagine it's because they feel like they haven't fully released it yet. I mean, I know like the, those uh, beast cast and, and giant bomb guys have had discussions about whether or not will PUBG be eligible for game of the year. Cause a lot of them seem to want it to be game of the year, but their own internal rules say early access isn't out yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's how that, and, and then that's like one of their game of the years a year or two ago. It was, uh, uh, an issue because Kerbal Space Program, once it finally came out of early access and it was in early access for a long time, it won game of the year, not game of the year, but it won in one of the sections it was in, uh, that it was put up for. But everyone, when they were tired, it's like, haven't we already done this one? Have we been playing this game for like six years? And it's like, well, yeah, but now it's fully released. So yeah, this is going to be one of those things that's, 
they'll they'll they're too popular. They will disappear if they don't do something. And I think this is them lashing out, knowing what's coming. Yep, I agree with you. All right, uh, Dishonored Two. I finished it yesterday. It was a buggy, crashy mess with a non-interesting story. I don't recommend it. I don't understand why some people thought this was game of the year last year. I'm very disappointed. Don't play it. The end. Okay. Well, that works. I finally punched through it. I just, I could not believe it crashed on console of all places over and over and over again. I couldn't get into the story. I didn't, the first Dishonored, the mechanics are fun. If you really like stealth and not Hitman style stealth, but the stealth where you have multiple approaches into buildings and well, no, even Hitman has that, but this is more about like staying to the shadows and not disguises and stuff. Yeah, It's got that, if, but I don't know. It was prettier than Dishonored 1, which I didn't like the aesthetic of, but I mean, it just was so disappointing. I was, it was a slog, but I wanted to finish it. You said you've been, you played like five hours of video games over the last couple of weeks. What games have you played or game? Cold Waters. I, I, I downloaded a, a mod for Cold Waters that patched in a 2004 era campaign, and I've been playing that. And that's literally, all of the minimal amount of video gaming I've done in the last two weeks. How is it? The mod? The mod's really well done. I haven't had any big issues with it until a patch hit and now it's broken. Uh, which isn't surprising because of a patch. So I mm. just need to get, wait for a new version of the mod to come out. That's the, that's the problem with running mods. When, when the game gets patched, mods stop working sometimes. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but no way around that. Uh, speaking of mods, this has nothing to do with that. Uh, betas. <laughs> We're going to go over to betas. Yeah, I just I have no transitions anymore. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I was able to get in on the closed beta. I know you saw some online streamer footage of yeah, Dragon I've Ball seen some streamer Z. footage and stuff. Uh, yeah, the I I spoke with Mike who we've you know who's guest hosted several times he's a big fighting game fan and he did uh beta play as well i had a few pvp matches a couple two or three and i did some against the computer which was it wasn't just stand there and take it but it was almost that level you had no selection options because these were very strict time periods uh but i am i'm still excited about the game mike has indicated that in terms of the mechanics it very much follows the What's what's the company Arc Arc System Works that kind of mm-hmm. are known for like Guilty Gear and such it follows a lot of their uh, tropes or, or fighting game mechanics. It is very simple to pick up. A lot of the commands I've seen looking at guides online are quarter circle button or like hold down and double tap a particular button. So it's pretty easy. It's not like Soul Calibur where everyone has these really extensive strings you had to minima, minim, memorize. It's a lot of this stuff will translate from character to character. Uh, but it's definitely got the show feel to it. Uh, visually, it's very impressive. The callouts are fun. So uh, the last fighting game I bought was Nidog off of Steam. And then before that, I don't remember, probably one of the Blaze Blues on Steam. So I just, I don't even average a fighting game a year. And But this one is definitely on the list. Definitely. Yeah, I like the look of it. It touches all the nostalgia buttons and it looks like a fun game a la some of the old Marvel V Capcoms and I have high hopes for it. We'll see when I actually get a chance to play it, which will probably be like, I don't know when it comes out. 
in February, I think. Uh, last thing I thought I'd mention is a few days ago, I went ahead and bought the uh, table pack for uh, Zakaria Pinball. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Zakaria, it was a pinball manufacturer in Italy. At one time, they were the third largest manufacturer of pins, incidentally. Uh, second, third to uh, Bally and Williams was where they ranked at one time. And they kind of made machines from the 70s to the mid, mid-70s and mid-80s, I guess would be the broadly speaking where they were. Uh, the game is on steam. I think it's on mobile as well, but you can get it for, for free on steam and it, much like the pinball arcade it comes with one, one table you can play. And so I bought a, the silver pack, which was like 35 of the tables ran about 43 bucks. I was a bit surprised. This is actually in early access. I did not realize that because this, I know I played on my old computer, which meant it was 20, at least available back in 2016. And my system couldn't handle it, so I uninstalled it. But now my new computer easily can handle it. And um, I'm impressed so far. I mean, setting aside whether or not you like the particular tables, the physics feel really good. The sound effects and stuff, uh, like on the EMs, I get that ball rolling on wood, kind of slowish, sluggish style. And then when you move to their solid states, it's going quicker. Lots of reflectivity options i think the flippers feel good i'd say if you like the pinball arcade this is something uh to consider if you'd like to try the italian pins out because they did make a lot of them i mean obviously 35 and they're they're doing some more creative like retro renditions of of old games modernizing that was what some of the higher packs were we're like here get this reinterpreted farfalla sort of thing and i was like no no i just want the ones they actually did but but it's been, I think it's pretty cool. It's got like over a thousand achievements too. So if you like achievements on Steam, it's got plenty of them for you to go for. Yeah, I saw, I saw you got a whole bunch of achievements when I was looking. At yes, Steam I'm good, day. aren't I? <laughs> you got an achievement for hitting A. You got an achievement that, for hitting that, B. They were not achievements for that. They were maybe an achievement for hitting the A switch on Time Machine thirty times in a row. Maybe downplay my Zakaria pinball skills punk <laughs> there you are. yeah no it's neat actually I'd, I'd really like to see more virtual projects to get some of the more obscure stuff or pinball arcade would consider they have to they seem like they're scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point because they did all the good games at first like you know there is more than bally williams and gottlieb maybe you guys need to consider diving over across the atlantic ocean and getting some playmatics in there or well, you know, maybe you could have like a super cheap pack and just put all the Ataris in because no one's going to like them. But, you know, at least at least then people could experience them because it's hard to find a lot of this stuff. I mean, they made a ton of Zakaria pins, but they're not in the U.S. Anyway, it's been fun. Speaking of fun, Tony, we're, we've, we did it. We're at the end of the show. We're at the end. Yeah, I know. I didn't contribute a whole lot. I've, I've done so little. All I've done is work around the house and and, and read and and listen to audiobooks and you contributed a lot to our depressing pinball discussions oh so sad that's just yeah they're gonna be mad because they're already tired of hearing me blather so much but you know what that's just how episodes go sometimes sometimes we had a really meaty one the last go very fluid it just depends on what our schedules are like it's 11 in the morning and i need a beer already because because the pinball section was so sad yeah it was very sad well, I already plugged Facebook, but if people want to email us, we're available eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram and eclectic underscore gamers. Mm-hmm. 
And hopefully we'll have more happier news and less depressing news. Oh, I hope so. Oh, sure. I'm sure we will. At the very least, maybe we could dig up some happy, maybe Mafia 3 so far picking up those keys felt really good. So I I bet I'm going to be more positive about it than Dishonored 2. I can tell already. (laughs) It was really good picking Uh, up those keys. I'll try and find another, I'll try and find a game to play that will be worth talking about that's not just me playing the same games i've been playing for years Uh, or or get enough mods and we can always go into epth on the mods that would be different that yeah yeah i could do that too okay well until then until tony has those ready for us i'll say that i'm dennis i'm tony goodbye everyone